Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Australian Open Finals catch-up. Rafa Nadal completes the comeback to make history down under. Barty ends a 44-year wait for a home slam champion. And Kyrgios and Kokinakis take home the doubles crown for Australia. Kim, today is the 30th of January and we are here to catch up on the finals of the Australian Open at Passing Shot HQ. We have had some truly historic matches over the last couple of days. Ash Barty winning, ending a 44-year wait for an Australian Open home slam champion. And then today we've had Rafa Nadal, one of the most epic comebacks I think we've ever seen on a tennis court against Daniel Medvedev winning the men's trophy from crutches a few months ago to this point right now. I mean, it just feels like we're in in fairy tale land at the moment. I have never been, well, I've got to say I've never been so stressed watching a tennis <laughs> match, but I was thinking actually this time 10 years ago on this very day as one example, I you know, that that 6-hour long match Rafa and Novak, I was extremely stressed then and I thought how remarkable that 10 years later, Rafa is at this point of a Grand Slam in a fifth set, going deep with opportunities to win. And I thought, do you know what? It's stressful as a fan, but it's so worth it when, you know, when you get results that you want, obviously. But just to see this man, this incredible tennis player and incredible competitor doing what he does best, like never giving up, you know, from two sets down, looking down and out and very tired failing to take his opportunities in that second set I think it's fair to say that the majority of people would you know definitely have said Medvedev was probably going to win in three and that's no discredit to Rafa but he wasn't really playing the tennis that would have been needed to win the match at that point and for then you know I don't know how many hours later three hours later from that point to completely kind of turn it around I just I I don't have many words. Uh, I was going to call you Rafa then, um, Joel. It's oh, just it's unbelievable. I yeah, what a day, what a match, what a tournament we've had. It really was. I think the the cherry on top for the you know the men's tournament, and it was such a fantastic spectacle. There was high drama throughout, and the fact that he was you know two sets down, two six six seven, particularly that second set because he was a breakup lost that break, went a break up again, lost that break. And then he was up in the tie break, lost the tie break. And you just thought if he was going to make the most of this, he really, you felt in that moment, you felt that he needed that second set. And I think we were talking on WhatsApp and we were just, I, you know, I was sort of thinking, you know, he's not looking, he's not looking his usual self. There's a few too many unforced errors for my liking. And he looked a little bit lethargic to me. And at two sets down against Daniel Medvedev playing the way he was, I mean, personally, for me, it felt like an insurmountable task for him to come back and and win in five. Yeah, especially against Medvedev, who, you know, is now a Grand Slam champion, very Mm. convincing on a hard court, has been playing great tennis and looked comfortable. You know, he he looked in control. He'd he'd won the second set when, you know, yeah, he hadn't been at his best either, um, but he'd managed to, to come through and... Generally, when a player loses, you know, a, a tough, tight set that they had opportunities to, to win in, you know, a, a lot of the time they then kind of not crumble, but, you know, you kind of maybe expect in the third set for um, it to be a maybe regulation, you know, 6-3 or whatever. Um, and I, I genuinely kind of thought, yeah, Rafa just doesn't seem to be feeling it today. He's not playing well. I've never seen him sweat so much. He was, you know, dripping all over the court. Um, you know, they had to ke- keep getting the ball kids to, to come and wipe down the lines, um, you know, wipe his sweat away. And just looked like there was a lot of tired uh, backhands into the net uh, at the end of the second set. And I just thought, 
yeah. And then Medvedev, 3-2, love 40 up on Rafa's serve in that third set. And you kind of think, okay, here we go. This is probably the moment where Medvedev's just going to kind of finish it off. And I think that was kind of the, the pivotal point, you know, to some extent, one of many. But, you know, Rafa fighting off those break points to hold. And then, well, I think the momentum just kind of changed at that point. And it he started to play better. He started to look like he had more energy. He changed it up a bit. Gradually, his serve improved as well because his first serve percentage was, I think, on average, about 59%, definitely for those first three sets. It was not good. It was not good in that first set, was it? And Medvedev was, you know, climbing all over it. That first set was over in a flash. And yeah, for for the pro Rafa crowd, you were sort of wondering, oh, is this is this going to be a regulation straight sets win for Daniel Medvedev? Who, you know, he was chasing something that is is not done very often. You know, two Grand Slam titles consecutively. You know, winning after winning the first one, very very difficult to achieve um it was a very good start from him and you know for Nadal despite you know all of his experience all of his finals uh matches um particularly in the Australian Open where you know he's been in the final many times before it just felt like maybe it was it was getting to a point where you're thinking is this is this ask too much even for someone as amazing as Rafa and, you know, for me, I think what that came down to, particularly in those first two sets, yes, Daniel Medvedev, like, you know, over this tournament was serving incredibly well, particularly on that first serve, winning a lot of cheap points. I actually think towards the end of the match, it was one of the only ways I think he was sort of winning points. But certainly early on, it was doing a lot of damage. And I think on, you know, on Rafa's service games as well, he was just playing very, very well from the return in. Um, you know, we know Nadal doesn't necessarily make that many aces. And it was impressive, I think, to see Medvedev, you know, use the ball and return in a way that just, I think, had Rafa on the back foot a little bit um, and always sort of guessing. And that is what I thought was so impressive in that se- second set from Medvedev in the sense that, yes, he went a breakdown, but he didn't really kind of dwell on it. And actually, he saw the the Nadal service game as as an opportunity for him to to break back. And I certainly think his return of serve was so good that he was able to kind of start those points really well, be able to get in the rally. And and Rafa couldn't necessarily do the do a serve and then set up the point with a, a big forehand afterwards. It wasn't didn't feel like there was that follow-up shot from Rafa that was really kind of clicking for him. And certainly I felt in those those first two sets. And it was giving Medvedev, you know, these opportunities that ultimately landed him I think in a in a two sets to lovely yeah definitely and I think you know Rafa was just it was such you know so much harder for him to hold serve than compared to Medvedev and I mean that first set Medvedev broke to love twice which is just you know terrible really if you want to try and get into the match and you're getting broken to love that was you know that was an awful first set really um to start with from Rafa and you know it, it showed that later on in the match when he got his first serve in he was so much more effective and um, you know, he only, I think he only hit three aces in the whole match, which obviously compared to Medvedev was such a slim amount. But crucially, you know, one of those was in that final game serving it out. So definitely did improve the first serve percentage as the match went on, uh, increased his variety. And I think above all as well, um, you know, obviously helped by the crowd. They were very pro Rafa. I don't think I've actually heard a, as crowd, a crowd as pro Rafa before, certainly not in a slam final. Just Rafa's determination. You know, he, I think this quote kind of, just kind of clarifies this to to no end you know he said I can lose he can win but I can't give up and I think that's just that mentality we know Rafa never gives up even when you know all of it all of all of the things seem against him he you know he's just not gonna go down without a fight is he and and you've that's all you can do really at that point even if you're absolutely knackered you've just got to kind of keep playing and keep going for it and things can change and that's what happened I just look back at, you know, to, you know, Daniel Medvedev's win against Felix Ogier Aliassime, you know, when he was saying, you know, Felix was playing very well, he was serving very well, and he changed his mindset to something like, if he's going to want to win this match and, and go further than he's ever been in a grandstand before, I'm going to make him fight as much as possible, you know, for him to, you know, to him, for him to get the victory. And I think perhaps with Rafa, from that third set onwards, you know, he probably was like thinking about Medvedev in, in a similar sort of way, you know, like, yeah, 
you, you've played some really, really good tennis so far. Yes, you've won your first Grand Slam at the US Open and you've got a chance to to make that um, you know consecutive at the Australian Open. But I'm going to make it as tough as possible for you. And I think, you know, from that third set onwards, it was just a real, real dogfight. It didn't happen, I don't think, very easily for Rafa, but certainly I think he upped his... He upped his level. I think he was smarter with his shot selection as well. It was fascinating, I think, to see the the drop shot be employed by both players so much. And the the net, I think, was was very, very, very important, I think, for, for both players. I was sort of expecting this to just be a match that was going to be played out more or less, you know, at the baseline. And, you know, at times that, that was the case. But at the same time, because... Both players, I think, were standing so far behind the baseline. There really was a, a big opportunity to to use the the drop shot effectively, and I think we saw that from Rafa. We saw that from Medvedev, and it was it it, it really brought in, I think, their focus on net play and being able to kind of kill off the points. And and you know, for Medvedev, although it it did work in some respects, there were times where it wasn't really working. Whereas as I felt for Rafa it was working quite well. He was very, it was very kind of, he was able to kind of draw Medvedev out wide and then do the drop shot cross court. And the, the more time that went on, Kim, you know, going into the third hour, fourth hour, you just don't want to put those miles in because it's, you know, it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of effort. And yeah, I thought it was interesting to see how they were using and, and leveraging the, the drop shot throughout the match. Yeah, and I think fitting that Rafa won it on a volley on the last point as well mm. um, that Medvedev just couldn't get to in time. So, yeah, I think, you, you know, it, you don't win Grand Slams without variety. I mean, Ash Barty is a complete case in point of that. You know, she's got the most variety on the yeah. tour and she yeah. is by far and away the best player on, on the ladies tour. So, you know, there's a reason that <laughs> there is a reason for that. Um, I mean, just Rafa, you know... What he was able to do, you know, finally getting over the finish line as well in that fifth set. You know, he's been in that, he's been in this situation before, you know, a breakup in the fifth set of an Australian Open final. He's serving for it. Yep, 2012 and 2017. You know, he said in his sort of post-match interview on Eurosport that, you know, that was in his mind that he'd been in that situation and lost both of those times. And he did not want that to happen again. And, you know, serving for it to get broken from 30 love up, but then to break straight back. Um, and then, you know, on your second attempt to serve it out to love. I mean, just that those three games alone, you know, kind of show you what, what Rafa's made of. And I mean, I'm just glad that he, you know, did get over the finish line and wasn't in that situation again to then lose from being up in the fifth set. And I think it was only really at that point that he was maybe thinking about 21, because I think before that, you know, he was just focused on getting back into the match rather than what it would mean, you know, in terms of history making. For me, tonally, that that fifth set and the crowd, it did give me, it did strike my mind back to Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, in the Wimbledon final in 2018, when, you know, Roger Federer had all those opportunities, those match points, Novak Djokovic was having none of it and ended up as the victor. I was sort of wondering with this Rafa match in terms of the opportunities he created, particularly in that fifth set, going up a break, not being able to get it done. And, and I wondered, you know, I was on my mind whether this was going to be, you know, borderline one of Rafa's worst most painful you know losses in a grand slam final similar to to Federer and I thought it was just amazing how he was just able to you know once get broken just show that that mental strength to just be like okay Daniel Medvedev's been playing amazing and to do that from you know to do that from 30 love down was you know really really incredible stuff but you know for Rafa to then bounce back straight away and you know get himself another opportunity to serve it out was just it was just incredible I mean there were so many twists and turns particularly in that fifth set and yeah both players were playing you know great great tennis I mean just talking about Daniel Medvedev as well I mean his double-handed backhand was just I felt it was just on the whole match particularly across court just felt like he was hitting lines for fun lots of winners um it was very very impressive and Although I, although obviously Novak Djokovic is not there, I certainly felt like Daniel Medvedev when I see him on the court with his sort of wall-like nature, 
mentally unfazed by lots of things, um, you know, player across the net, all the stuff going on in the crowd. You sort of felt to be a little bit like Novak Djokovic reincarnated at times, particularly with the, the double-handed backhand, because, you know, both those both players, I think, have one of the best double-handed backhands in the game at the moment. I think up there, obviously, with, with Andy Murray as well. But it was, for me, in a weird way, it was at times I felt like watching Rafa versus Novak, given the similarities, I think, between Medvedev's game and Djokovic's game. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Medvedev's defence um, in mm. the first two sets, yeah. I was definitely thinking, gosh, he is like a Djokovic wall down the other end. And, you know, whatever Rafa was trying, it wasn't really working no. because Medvedev no. was just getting everything back. And that's the difference, you know, between Rafa playing someone like Berrettini and Rafa playing Medvedev is is that ability to to get balls back that you know most players can't or wouldn't be able to and I thought maybe also in in that start of the match it was just Medvedev you know was another level up to anyone that Rafa had played so far since coming back and it just takes time to kind of work out what you need to do to overcome that as well um so thank god for five set matches and five set finals um I mean Rafa obviously now has 21 slams he has the most Grand Slam titles of, you know, any man in the Open era. Um, also has now got, you know, two slams at every tournament, like Djokovic uh, did when he won the French again last year. I think it's kind of ironic, actually, that they've won kind of each other's tournaments. You know, Novak won Roland Garros. Um, and then a year later, you know, less than a year, Rafa's won kind of Novak's tournament uh or that's how I view it anyway because obviously Novak is a nine-time champion here I mean just just on that obviously Novak Djokovic isn't here are there going to be people out there who will say I mean I've not seen any of this so far but do you think there are people out there who will be saying well Novak Djokovic isn't there so does that taint the victory somewhat or not or not so much I mean I I personally I personally don't think so but do you do you see any argument there in terms of the fact that Novak Djokovic isn't there you know this is his home does that slightly undervalue perhaps the win itself because the best the best players you want the best players there and and maybe there's is there an argument to say because Novak Djokovic wasn't there do you just make the most of of that opportunity well I didn't think about that at all I I Mm. thought oh it's nice that Rafa's playing Medvedev in the final rather than Djokovic. Um, I mean, they would have met in the semi-final here, to be fair, but you can only play who you, you, you know, you've got in the draw. And Medvedev arguably is, you know, along with Djokovic, like the leading hardcore player on tour at the moment. You know, he beat Djokovic at the US Open. So Medvedev may very well have beaten Djokovic here if Djokovic was playing. You know, there's no guarantee that Djokovic would have won the title. It would have actually been quite interesting had he been allowed to play, how much the deportation drama and the court cases like would have impacted his game and, and the tournament. But, you know, I'm kind of glad that we didn't actually have to deal with that because the tournament was able to kind of just be played. And to be fair, I kind of forgot about all of that stuff once the tennis actually started, which was fantastic. And I think, you know, all that hoo-ha that we had to, to kind of go through, Djokovic trying his damn hardest to be there to try and get go for 21 and and look what happens you know someone else gets there um and we have an, a still a fantastic tournament where someone is trying to get 21 grand slams and and they do and yeah I, I feel like perhaps Djokovic is you know ha- perhaps he shot himself in the foot by you know um not getting the vaccine for example if he'd had the vaccine he he might well have been the one that we're talking about today with 21 Grand Slams. But I know that's, you know, there's a whole whole load of uh, backstory with all of that. And we, we will see how that kind of pans out over the next few months. And obviously, there's been recent reports in the in the papers over the weekend about his COVID tests and all of that. But um, I mean, you could say that, you know, I mean, Federer's still got 20 titles as well. Everyone's, yep. Yep. everyone's forgot about Federer. But he put out a really lovely tweet uh, or Instagram today congratulating Rafa um brought tears to my eyes actually because it just reminded me of how those two you know gosh you know when I first started watching tennis like 2006 2007 2008 you know they were the the leading two on the tour um played so many finals and matches and 
I never really expected that Rafa would overtake Federer in terms of slams one and, and be the first person to get this number. I just the fact that, you know, so many years on he has done that. It, it's just like, I don't know, it makes you really think. And, you know, 17 years ago, Rafa won his first slam. And I mean, what a what a longevity. People were writing him off, you know, literally in 2009 when he had all the, that knee problem, when he, you know, lost to Sodling at the French Open. People were saying, oh, I don't think he's got the, the physical body, you know, the way he plays the game. I don't think he's going to last. And look, look, here we are now. It's just, um, it's funny how things go, isn't it? And I mean, the Telegraph, Joel, have put this at number four in their all-time best men's Grand Slam finals. Does it rank up there in your kind of top few matches? Top few Grand Slam finals? Yeah, yeah I was in, that was interesting because, yeah, they, they have Wimbledon 2000, 2008, Nadal Federer, Nadal beating Federer with that tie break uh, as number one, Djokovic beating Nadal at 2012, Australian Open as number two, and then the French Open 2015, Vavrinka beating Djokovic in four sets, um at number three and then you have Nadal beating Medvedev um at the Australian Open in 2022 US Open 2012 Murray beating Djokovic one Grand Slam final which I actually was there for which was amazing um yeah there's been some absolutely iconic I think Grand Slam finals we've had uh you know over the over the decades and certainly I think this ranks up there where I would place it is a very good question you know I I would still have Nadal, Federer, Wimbledon 2008 as number one, but I certainly would put this maybe above Djokovic beating Nadal at the, the 2012 Australian Open, just because this was just incredible in terms of where, not just the match itself, but I think where Nadal had come from. You know, we've spoken about on the pod before, you know, the fact that he was on crutches. Roger Federer as well, I think, acknowledged in his Instagram post. They were both on crutches a, you know, a few months ago. And the journey, I think, from where he started to where he is now is just so massive, so unbelievable. It's, it, it's, it really adds, I think, to the, to the victory and the context, I think, of which this kind of final you know, sits in and, you know, with, with Medvedev as well. Yes. You know, obviously he's not a member of the the big three. And I imagine for some people that you know might count against where we kind of look at it probably, you know, very unfairly, but the level of tennis he brought to the court, it's, it's arguable to say, you know, these, these faster hard courts, the Australian open Medvedev very much feels like the, the heir apparent to, to Djokovic here. And, you know, for Nadal at 35 years old to go two sets down and come back against someone of the calibre of a Daniel Medvedev, it's just truly remarkable. And given all the, the twists and turns, particularly in that fifth set, where I think both players were sort of running on fumes at, at some points, you know, Medvedev, as I said, I think he was just relying on his serve at times to just win points here and there. But you know, for Nadal to kind of come through that is is just, in, you know, it's just incredible. And uh, I certainly think for me, this ranks up there as one of his best Grand Slam wins of those 21, given the the journey he's been on. Yeah, I think this one and the 2008 Wimbledon will mm. be the ones that, yeah, I think they're the, the top two for me, just in terms of what it meant that was Nadal, you know, peak, peak Nadal. And as you know, Nadal is 35 now. Yes, his game has sort of, you know, it's still an incredible game. It's incredible that a 35 year old can put a game like that together. Um, and that, I think, again, is what makes this final so remarkable is just showing what what can be done at this age in, in tennis, in this elite level environment um, and do, you know, and doing it against someone who's like you know a decade a decade younger and younger than him it's just it's just it's just fascinating and again adds i think to the i think it adds another i think element to just how amazing just winning for nadal to win this match and then and then adding in the fact it was two sets from two sets down it just makes it even more compelling yeah and after 5 hours and 24 minutes which is the second longest australian open 
final. I think it's the second longest Grand Slam final mm. ever, actually, after that 2012 final. Um, I think Rafa looked fresher at the end of the match. I mean, he was obviously he said he was destroyed afterwards. You know, he did have to get a chair as well for the ceremony, a la 2012. But you know, he just seemed to have more. Um, I was um, wondering about in that him. in the in the ceremony. I was like, are they going to get the chairs Bring out? The chairs are out, we yeah. Have... We're going to have some sort of parallel with, uh, yeah, Nadal and Djokovic from that epic, uh, that epic final. I mean, Kim, just a couple of other points on this final, because there was lots, you know, obviously there was lots of, lots to talk about. And we do need to talk about the crowd because the crowd at times, it was very, it felt like a Nick Kyrgios match for me at times. You know, this was very shouty putting off Medvedev. It felt like, you know, hollering between first and second serves cheering double faults um you know I, I get that there is it's a pressure environment and pressure can do funny things to to you know to crowds for example but at the same time i've got to be honest i think i think they should have shown a little bit more respect i think nadal you know he put his hand up and said you know show 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 more respect to medvedev show more respect to this being a grand slam final uh, you know i just felt that it was sort of lacking i think from the the crowd that was there in attendance. Yeah, I think even in the women's final yesterday, um, they were being a bit boisterous uh, when Collins mm. was trying to serve and Barty actually, you know, kind of was like, hang on a minute, um, this is not on. And yeah, never any um, excuse for kind of cheering double faults or yelling out, you know, as someone's serving, like that's just not on. And generally not what we see kind of decorum wise from somewhere like Wimbledon although Wimbledon have had issues I think in that uh Federer Djokovic final that was a bit rowdy <laughs> why don't associate the Australian Open crowd as this sort of rowdy crowd that mm. I may expect at the you know the US, US Open. Open yeah yeah like I just I don't know you know they call themselves the happy slam you know some of these behaviors we see or hear doesn't for me reflect that that brand identity that I think they want to obviously uphold um which is I think a little bit maybe a little bit disappointing now I've spoken to other fans as well and they sort of you know, agree with me in the sense that just generally over the last kind of couple of weeks the crowd has been a bit I think I've gone a bit too far I think in in certain situations and you know I, I again I get that this you know match can do funny things to, to you know to, to people and uh you know there was a very pro Rafa presence in in the crowd um but again at the same time I think yeah potentially there should have been more respect I think paid to to Medvedev who interestingly I think was sort of lapping it up we saw a few sarcastic claps when he heard the the boos um I think in the the fourth set um yeah, it will be. I wonder how long. I wonder how long they will kind of remember this this match for and, and Daniel Medvedev. You know, when it comes to next year, I feel like it was all a little bit in jest. But I feel for me, the the, the crowd in the U.S. Open final last year was worse because they were actually um, preventing Medvedev from serving a, a lot. I think from what I saw, I, I feel like this the crowd today wasn't as bad as crowds I have seen, um, and. Obviously, I liked the fact they were pro Rafa. I, as I said, I think that really helped. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying helped in the sense of like, yes, you should never be, obviously, cheering double faults and being a nuisance. Um, but just it was nice that the majority of people wanted Rafa to win because um, I think actually Medvedev said in his press conference, you know, when the, the big three dominating, you know, people were kind of like, oh, when are the next gen going to? like come and beat these guys and then when it gets to that point people they don't want the next gen to beat them they they want to see the big three continue winning because they're you know often in these big finals still getting the support and um I think obviously people want to see history being made I think that was largely largely the case um I don't know if Djokovic, if Djokovic had been in that final today I don't know who the crowd would have gone for I would have to say probably Medvedev um, just based on everything that you know went on prior, they would have just booed both of them. No, um... <laughs> maybe and suing. At least we didn't have as much suing today. That is I feel very like that true. died its death a bit. It got a bit old quickly. Maybe yeah. And there was one other that there was one other thing as well that I I noticed watching on on TV was the the automated line call. Yes, it, it works, and it, it in I think in less noisy environments, um, it 
it works without a, a it works without a hitch. But I think in Grand Slam finals, where just generally the the buzz of the atmosphere is higher, you just couldn't hear we just couldn't hear it at times. It just got a bit confusing, I think, for fans who you know thought the ball was in, but then it was actually out, and they were celebrating, and then they were you know greeting with surprise when they found out it was out. It was a little bit for me a little bit confusing, and I do wonder if like Hawkeye or whoever it is perhaps need to look at you know if 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 it's not just maybe an audio an audio cue whether there needs to be some sort of visual cue as well because I do think you know we've seen this I think time and time again to be honest when you know crowd is is noisy it is hard to hear and it feels like a source of contention at the moment because the players are just like looking at the umpire going kind of what what's going on here because they can't hear either I certainly feel like that is something that potentially needs to be worked on. I think um, like when they have the close calls that comes up on the screen, mm. maybe they could, inst- yeah, as well as having the audio, they something could flash up that says yeah. out. So it's a visual thing. Or, you know, because back in the, obviously, I was going to say the old days, but with a line judge, you know, you'd, you'd see an arm go out. Um, exactly. So you'd have that exactly. visual cue. I mean, one thing it did do was obviously stop all these like challenges, which I think often slow the match down and can affect momentum. So I appreciated the fact that we didn't have to stop, you know, for players endlessly challenging. So I kind of prefer the automated line judging for that. Um, but yeah, it did cause a lot of confusion when balls are really close and Rafa, you know, and Mevedev were like, is it in? Is it out? You know, um, what's what's the deal? So, I mean, also, Joel, um, to throw in even more drama, we had a, a protester uh, come onto court in the, I think it was the ninth game of the second set. Um, the cameras cut away very quickly. We couldn't really see what was going on, like close up. Um, they cleared the protester off quite quickly. I mean, that must have been quite a jump down. I'm assuming they jumped down over the hoarding. Mm. Um, quite unnerving as well. Like, you yeah, know, I, saw, sure. I think it was. I think it was quite well handled in the sense that, yeah, the the security were quickly around the players. They didn't go off the court. They just kind of got got on with it. And again, I think that was fantastic. Just kind of keep the the flow going. And you know, it didn't. I think that it was on Nadal's serve. He wasn't really kind of phased or it interrupted him. And we just kind of got back to it. But yeah, it was. Uh, it was a match full of it was a match full of high drama and you know Rafa came out the victor he is on 21 where 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 does he go from here kim do you do you see that as do you think he can kick on i mean obviously we've got the french open as the next one that is rafa's stronghold yes he did not win there last year um do you do you see 21 as his, his final resting place as you know, in terms of Grand Slams, or do you think he's got a couple left in him? I have no idea. I'm not even thinking ahead, to be quite honest with you. I'm just appreciating what we saw today. Um, do you know what? I was actually quite calm in those first two sets because I just thought, oh, maybe, it, it, you know, it's not meant to be. It's not Rafa's day. Um, maybe we need to accept this, you know. And then <laughs> when he did it, I just, you know, was like, Oh my lord! You know, floods of tears. Um, I don't know. I obviously I would love him to to get more, but I think right now I'm just gonna. I don't. I. It depends, doesn't it, on on his foot managing that, and generally his fitness and you know health. I mean, and, his fitness looked pretty good, didn't it today? And how long? You know, Roland Garros. Yeah, how how long the matches are? Who he? It, there's so many factors that go into it. But one thing that we we'll always be able to rely on is that even faced with great adversity, whether that's on or off the court, you know, trying to prepare to be back on a tennis court or in a match, you know, Rafa doesn't give up and he will always do his utmost to be there. Um, even if the odds are against him. So um, I don't know. I have no answer to that question. Um, I think Medvedev is certainly going to win more slams. I think, um, you know, especially on a hard court, I don't see why he, wouldn't be able to maybe defend his US Open title, win it, win in Australia for sure. I think eventually, he seems to be carving out this this niche kind of for himself. And I think you know, although he didn't win today, he didn't get the world number. I think if he'd have won today, he would have become world number one pretty much. I think in the next few weeks, when the points all dropped off for Djokovic, you know, he still is number two. But I think the way it's going to fall is that Medvedev is likely to 
take over the the, the number one mantle you know points wise um at some point and I don't really see why he can't you know win on the grass uh either I think you know Medvedev's got some work to do probably on the clay doesn't seem to have mm, had so yeah. much success on the clay but I don't see why he couldn't win on grass obviously hardcore he's you know very tough to beat <laughs> it took a lot to beat him today <laughs> It does set it up, doesn't it, very well for the next Grand Slam. Assuming Novak Djokovic can play, we don't, you know, that is far from a certainty. But if he does, yeah, but if he does, you know, he's going to be on 20, Rafa on 21, you know, it's going to be, it could come down to, you know, that's a big opportunity to create an even bigger gap, right, for for Rafa to potentially go two in front of of Djokovic and Roger Federer. So, you know, it's going to be all eyes, I think, when it comes to, to Roland Garros on that story, if it allows to develop, if Novak Djokovic is allowed to play um, in Paris. But, you know, we shall see. Daniel Medvedev is there, is going to be there as well. We know that for a fact. And, you know, again, he's going to need to, I think, sharpen his clay court game because I think, you know, he certainly has big, big opportunities. Yes, in Flushing Meadow, US Open, Yes, Australian Open. And yeah, probably just behind that Wimbledon, given you know how well he serves. So, almost sort of like uh, you know, Milos Raonic. Um, you know, those that sort of that sort of level of serving. Um, but yeah, it does feel potentially like Clay is like a little bit of a, a, a weak spot for him at the moment. I think also, um will this make Djokovic get the vaccine? I mean, if if France Ooh, are yeah, saying it's mandatory. Yeah. Will the fact that how long you know, can he go on? Exactly. I, will this the fact that Rafa's won here and has got twenty one? Will that be the final thing that makes Djokovic think? Oh, actually, yeah, I can't just rely on someone else to win these Grand Slams that I'm maybe not able to compete in. Um, in the meantime, I've I've got to be there. I've got to get the vaccine. It will be interesting to see if he changes his stance on that. Um, we shall see. In the meantime, um, one player I randomly thought of. Um, was Dominic team during this match because I think he would have been perhaps where Medvedev's standing today if he was, you know, hadn't had this injury trouble since he won his US Open. Um, you know, he got to the Australian Open final, I think, in 2019 and lost in five sets, I want to say, to Djokovic. And, you know, obviously won that US Open and it's like, it's really bad luck that he's had such sort of trouble since. But, I wonder if when he returns, if he can get up there, because he must be thinking, "Hey, that that was me where where Medvedev is." You know, I've I've won a slam. I'm one of the only players to have broken the you know Novak and Rafa kind of slam hold, and he he wants to be back. I'm sure, and and seeing what Medvedev's doing, it, it's kind of it would make it very interesting if he returns to the tour and there's a bit more of a, a battle at the top as well. It's funny you said it made you think of Dominic Team because for me, it actually made me think of Felix Ogier Aliassime, who had match point yeah. against Daniel Medvedev. So, you know, there are, you know, t- obviously tennis is a game of such fine margins. And I think it will gain, give so much confidence to Ogier Aliassime in terms of just showing him how close he is potentially from not only winning, sorry, not only reaching a Grand Slam final, but potentially even going on to to become a Grand Slam champion. You know, he was so close to taking out Daniel Medvedev. I think, again, watching this match, this will give him a lot of confidence going forward. Yeah, still, I I don't know if he'd have won that match if he would have beaten Sitspas, though. But it's all ifs Mm -hmm. and buts. Um, Yeah. Certainly in a final, he's yet to win a final, Felix. Uh, so maybe he needs to get that duck off his back. And I hope he does soon. Um, <laughs> finally get his first singles title. Um, but yeah, what an amazing end to a, a good men's tournament. You know, fantastic match today. History has been made. Epic stuff. Um, absolutely brilliant. We've run out of superlatives, so let's take an ad break. <laughs> uh, but we'll be back in the second half, looking back on the ladies' finals action and all the doubles results as well. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to looking back at the ladies' final from Saturday Ash Barty in her home slam, uh, going 
for victory, trying to be the one to end the 44-year wait for a home Grand Slam champion uh, up against Danielle Collins in her first Grand Slam final. Um, it kind of went the way we sort of predicted, straight sets to Barty, but perhaps, you know, a bit closer scoreline-wise than I was thinking. It was 6-3, 7-6 in the end. We finally um, had a testing set for Ash Barty, didn't we? We that, did, that second yeah. Set. I mean, exactly. Danielle Collins, 5-1 up. I mean, you you think any sort of any professional player should be winning a set from or being able to kind of close a set from from five one up, which was I think disappointing to see. I think I think everyone, well, maybe not Australian fans, but I certainly was sort of hoping it would go the distance. But again, I think it just showed in terms of Ash Barty. I know we talk endlessly about her variety, but also her, you know, her um, ability to handle testing kind of situations which arguably we had we we didn't need to see this week it hadn't really happened and you know the fact that she had such adversity at 5-1 down I'm sure the crowd all her fans were all very nervous being like what is going on here this was not in the this was not in the script book um but I'm sort of glad it did happen because again I think it just under underlined her status as world number one, the fact that regardless of what situation she, you know, she finds herself in, yes, I can play brilliant tennis, but also I can, I can wrestle back the initiative seemingly from, you know, really difficult situations where it looks like, you know, Collins potentially would have been going into a third set with all the momentum. Yeah. Five one up in that second set. I thought, great like we've got a third set finally <laughs> uh, but I spoke too soon uh, Colin served for it twice and as soon as it went five all I thought oh Barty's gonna win this set like seven five and I was pleased that Collins held to take it into a tie break because that, I think that was you know important um so at least give yourself she made that it interesting. opportunity and... she made it interesting in that yeah. tie break well, I exactly. mean, to getting to the tie uh, well, getting to, to the get tie into break. the tie break. tie break was a bit of a formality I think of seven two um and but yeah, Barty was able to just not let up. Like she obviously did have a drop in in her form, kind of at the start of that second set to go five one down. But you know, when tested, she was able to rein in and play play as she has been playing and and come back. And I think it's just testament to her, you know, mental strength, her variety, her calmness, and her disposition. And you know. Also to Collins, though, for, for fighting through and, and not letting the match run away with her. Kim, also her love for beating Americans uh, at Grand Slams, right? She has beaten, yeah, four Americans en route to the title in a row. <laughs> and weirdly enough, they're the same four Americans that she beat in Roland Garros 2019 to win her first slam. So Danielle Collins, Madison Keys, Jessie Pagula and Amanda Anisimova which is kind of a weird fact. So if there's ever a draw in the future where she could potentially play all four, you know Barty's going to win the tournament. It sounds like a passing shot quiz end of season question uh, in the, for this season. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a bit, it was a bit, it was yeah, a bit, bit funny that, but at the same time, I, I do think, you know, that, that really helped Barty, I think in terms of, you know, in terms of those players play very I think similar style you know similar backgrounds in terms of all being American different kind of I think school of of philosophy when it comes to approaching tennis and perhaps that may have kind of aided Barty in terms of her you know quest to to winning you know the Australian Open but at the same time you know she had to deal with as well as the, the players across the net she had to deal with history as well being against her you know 44 years all you know being the talk of the town number one seed that is immense pressure to you know to carry on your shoulders and the way she dealt with that was just it was just fantastic because you know we've seen other players I think you know with the favorite tag this or you know a high seeding and just not really de- you know delivering you know I always think about Caroline Carolina Pliskova for example I know she got to that Wimbledon Wimbledon final but you know a player who constantly is you know normally at the, the top of the ranking she's been world number one but never really seems to deliver, you know, the Grand Sam. You do wonder whether kind of the pressure kind of gets to the gets the best of her. But for Ash Barty, she's just so fearless, I think, and, and nerveless that she's just able to kind of carry it on in her stride. Yeah, she's so relaxed, isn't she? And obviously, I think she's learned from her experience here last year where she did have that loss to Mukova and 
I think she got to the semi-finals the year before and, and lost and you know it's she's obviously learned from those experiences as well at her home slam and you know it, this was just such a dominant fortnight you know barely dropping games let alone sets I mean coming into the final she had only been on court for just over six hours which you know you said, what we saw today from Rafa and Medvedev five hours 24 minutes you know that's almost like the majority of Barty's tournament in terms of time spent on court and it's just the, the equal prize money brigade will be out in force won't they with with that statistic well I would have loved to have seen the women's final going to being best of five I think it could have maybe changed not maybe changed the outcome but it would have added a, a different dimension and certainly they're fit enough to play best of five maybe from quarterfinals onward they could they could do that because it's just what it's sort of at two extremes of the scale when you're having guys playing four or five hours in a in a match you know they could be doing that three matches in a row and someone on the women's side is is winning you know it's not their fault they're winning so easily and so dominant you like that's the, that's the way it is that's how it how it is the rules as they are but I think there's certainly an argument for them to to make the women's best of five um I think other people you know have said that and I think maybe they could have a tournament like Indian Wells where they test that out on the women's side perhaps um I I don't know (laughs) but um that maybe is a debate for another day I mean Barty was just you know she did what she had to do she's been incredibly dominant on serve having that confidence I mean has she been truly tested this tournament Kim yes Danielle Collins in that second set did ask some questions but do we think that you know this title um is this what is so scary about the level that that Ash Barty is playing at the moment. The fact that it was just so comfortable. She didn't drop a set. I think that was the first time uh, since Serena Williams that a player has won, uh, a lady has won the Australian Open without dropping a set. So in 2017. So I think, is is that how scary it is in terms of the fact that it feels like she's playing within herself and just kind of batting off all of her opponents with relative, relative ease? Yeah, I think she had more of a test at Wimbledon last year, that semi-final with Kerber, for example. And I think even the match with Krichikova was a bit more testing than anything she's had this this fortnight. Even Pliskova took that, you know. Even in the final. Yeah, it did go three three. sets. Yeah. Even after that terrible start. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see Barty against like peak Serena, which obviously isn't going to happen. I'd Will Serena ever come back? Will, will she be fit enough when she does? I don't know. Um, or Pika Saka would be great, like a final with Peak Barty versus Pika Saka. I'd love to see that. I think that would be um, a real, yeah, a, a bigger test for Barty than obviously what she's had so far. I think, yeah, I think the for me the kind of the the question kind of coming out of this is, yeah, what what are the what are the next tests for for Ash Barty? Because it seems that she's on a you know, a rampage at the moment in terms of the fact that, you know, she's become, you know, the eighth player uh, in the Open era to win Roland Garros, Wimbledon and the Australian Open. She's obviously going to be gunning for the US Open to, you know, complete the set. And, uh, you know, at the moment, the, the tennis she is playing, you can't, you can't you know, argue against that and adding more, I think, slam titles to her name. You know, that the variety, I think, particularly means that I think she's going to be well well equipped whatever kind of court surface she is on um and yeah i mean it's, it'll be funny to see you know what are those what are those tests that are, are going to happen because at the moment i don't really see if there are any tests out there the the level that she's playing is is so far i think above um all of all the rest of her uh you know her rivals that um you know i could i could see you know this streak kind of being this, this, you know, this eleven match winning streak continuing. I can see her being the dominant force, you know, on the, you know, throughout the the season. Um, if you know, assuming she can stay, you know, relatively injury free, which has, you know, not been an issue for her, um, so far really in her in her career. So, yeah, I, I don't really know where where are those tests going to come from. You think? Do you think it's you know Osaka, maybe Serena Williams? I I don't know. Andrescu, if she ever comes back to where she was in 2019. Um, I think French Open, I know Barty's won it, but I still feel like clay is probably her weakest surface. Um, having said that, I'm sure she won quite a lot of clay titles in the run-up to Roland Garros last year. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, outside of the Grand Slams, she's, you know, people are capable of beating her. You know, I think we've seen Osaka and Sabalenka beat her in kind of 
tour finals but yeah I see exactly what you're saying it's very hard to see how people can overcome the variety that she has and the, the kind of confidence behind her serve um the ability to to hold herself so so clinically easily I can only think Simona Halep of the top top players potentially is close is close to not even I wouldn't even say close it, it has I think the capabilities and the nous to you know get back to having all those kind of you know tool, you know tools in the toolbox I think I think I think for me yeah and I, I know I know Simona Halep obviously would have liked to have gone further um you know at the Australian Open but I think we've seen in the past that that her variety also potentially could match Ash Barty in the future. I know my, I know Lissa's is probably going to be thinking I always bag on the, uh, the Simona Hallett drum, but there's very, very few players aren't there on the tour that I think possess that level of variety in terms of, yes, I can hit, um, I can hit loads of backhand slices. I can hit loads of short cross court forehands with heavy topspin. Um, you know, I can do serve and volley. And again, it's just, it's just showing, I think in, in this new era, I think of, of WTA tennis that at the moment I think variety and, and sort of counterpunching is is a is the way is the way to go at the moment. I think it will breed maybe a new generation that will be mm. focusing on building that variety into their game as opposed to just the power players that we see, you know, all of these players like Anisimova, Keys, like Pagula Collins, they're very similar styles as we said and they all went the same way and just they didn't have that capability or variety to to match Barty and I mean Collins obviously had an amazing tournament she did so well to get to get to the final after all her health troubles she you know made a good show of herself um I was really hoping she'd be able to like blast those returns but um it just you know I think she got about a third of them back um just you know compared to against Shvontek in the semi-finals where she was making them left right and center she just wasn't able to make inroads in the same way and the yell came out too late I think in the match was basically yes. she needs to do it from the first point she <laughs> yeah, won I think yeah I think so um... <laughs> just put a mark put a marker out there like you know yeah yeah. Tell everyone you're here uh, and you mean business. Um, because I, yeah, I've, I felt in that second set when, particularly early on in that second set, when she was really pumped and in, in full flow, it was a lot more of a, it was a lot more intimidating. And the Danielle Collins, I want to see on a tennis court that, um, you know, I think maybe necessarily didn't, didn't turn up, I think, from, you know the very first point and we only really maybe got to see it at the, from the start of the second set but yeah when she did let it go it, you know it showed that she, she she can do it you know she went 5-1 up in you know matter of no time um against you know one of the if not the best player in the world right now um she will obviously be disappointed she wasn't able to close that set there's you know she's going to be she's going to want to obviously be able to maintain that level for for longer but I think she'll take great confidence from, you know, from, I think from the the knowledge that, you know, of of the last kind of couple of weeks that, you know, Ash Barty's had on, on a tennis court in Melbourne Park, I, she probably came as close, closer, closer than anyone else to, uh, to, to nabbing a set off her. I think it's also really interesting what Collins has been able to do, given the fact that she doesn't really have a coach. And she said, you know, after about, the fact that she has to do it all the homework and scouting and all the kind of technical side of things herself. Because Does that just she... mean go on YouTube and just watch <laughs> uh, tennis highlights of her opponent? Well, probably. I mean, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, she said that she's only ever really worked with a coach for like a few months at a time. She's never had like that consistency. Um, I mean, she's going to be in the top 10 now. I would hope that she'd be able to afford to hire a coach long term, but perhaps she likes to do it on her own perhaps she doesn't gel well with having someone consistently there I, I don't know we you know I <laughs> saw a video pop up on Twitter the other day when she was having a bit of a stern word or two with a coach uh, on on court uh, from a few years back but I mean I think it's just interesting yeah that she obviously sometimes you just can't afford to to have a coach and fair enough and I, you know she's obviously in a position now where I would imagine she can but it's finding that right person, isn't it? And um, she's I mean, obviously she a sponsor. A she doesn't even have, she doesn't a, have a clothing either. sponsor. I know. Well, I mean, I... It's amazing that players yeah. can have no sponsor and be in a Grand Slam 
Grand Slam final. Um, You'd think a sponsor like Last Minute would um, be like, hey, do you want to wear our clothing for this mm, final? We'll give you loads of money. Yeah, I think Simona Halep didn't have a clothing sponsor when she made the final uh, in 2018. And I think it was because she was changing over sponsors and temporarily she didn't have one. But But she's, um, she's a very strong you know characterful individual and i think that's that has made it has made what you know getting to the final itself so impressive i think from daniel collins point of view you talk about the you know the health situation she found herself in the fact that she's had no coach she's got no clothing sponsor she will feel i think when she's on the tour and i think she revels in this pitch in this in this situation where she likes to feel like she's the She's in it on her own. You know, she's got to do it by herself if she wants to get things done. And again, when it came to the Australian Open, she it was it was hers to make something of and hers alone. And to get to the the final when not too many people were probably talking about you, you know, in the in the build up to it, very very impressive. Yeah, we did. We certainly didn't pick her name out of our draw sheet two weeks ago. And I mean. It was um, a great tournament for her. Obviously, a fantastic tournament for Ash Barty. She's now got a slam on every surface. Um, and she has warmed the hearts of the Australian fans. 44 years they had to wait. Uh, I have to say, we had to wait 77. But, I mean, that was for a men's <laughs> champion. Like, we had Virginia Wade, mm. obviously. Um, but that was still quite a long time. Uh, <laughs> so, it was... Um, yeah, we can sympathise with what the Aussie fans have been through. And I mean, they also got two on, on the same day, uh, didn't they, uh, in terms of Aussie champions? Because that Barty final was followed by the men's doubles final between Nick Kyrgios, Tanasi Kokinakis, Matthew Ebden and Max Purcell. And the special Ks went and won in straight sets, seven five six four. Um, They have become the first all-Australian partnership to win at the Australian Open since the Woodies in 1997. And I think they're the first wildcard pairing to win a double slam since Freddie Nielsen. Oh, another Freddie Nielsen reference. And Johnny Murray in 2012 at Wimbledon. So um, a whole load of, you know, records kind of going there. Um, I mean, also, interestingly, they won junior Wimbledon doubles together, uh, special Ks. I don't why am I saying special Ks? I find that annoying. So I should just say their full name, but it's quite long, isn't it? Uh, Kyrgios and Kokinakis. <laughs> it's been a what? I mean, it's obviously been a, a wild ride for them. I think Kokinakis said, you know, the rowdier, the better from the crowd um, across their matches. And I think the the final was no was no different. I think you know, Kyrgios was getting fans ejected as as well. Um, I think what's interesting for me about this win is that I think a lot of people, including myself, I was like, is this just like two mates playing tennis? And it's a bit of a scratch scratch pairing, wild card, no real, um, you know, no real like no real hope you know just a bit of fun for the you know the crowds but you know when you I was I was a bit surprised to learn actually that they they actually do have some doubles prowess you know the fact that they have won the junior Wimbledon doubles title together shows that they have I think that great and natural rapport I think you need to be a, a top a top doubles team and I think that was fully on show in the in the final and I don't really know where where this goes from here is it is it a one-off does Nick Kyrgios focus on doubles does he try and do singles and doubles um yeah I'll be in you know it'll be interesting to see as well as you know the same for for Kokonakis but I certainly think you know tournament organizers will be looking at this and thinking we can get Kyrgios and, and Kokonakis in in the draw it's gonna it's gonna bring it's gonna bring the fans in it's gonna bring the entertainment and it's gonna bring really really good tennis in because you know again they just played some absolutely fantastic tennis they beat you know they beat Pavic and Mektic. Pavic and Mektic. Uh, they beat Zabios and Granoyas. Granoyas. There you go. Um, yeah, really testing my doubles on here, but yeah, they've they've played some excellent tennis this fortnight, and I think it's just you know it's it's just deserved. I think for for all of the the you know the seedings they've upset and you know defeating Ebden and, and Purcell in the final. Yeah, I mean, if they are both going to be on the tour more regularly, you know, Kyrgios hasn't really played much. Uh, Kokinakis, I don't think his ranking's been high enough. So if they're going to both be on the tour a bit more regularly, they could play tour events together. I think, you know, we said about Kyrgios perhaps preferring to be in a team environment, playing not just for himself. 
maybe it focuses him better and he can have a bit of a laugh and it's kind of okay in doubles you know and perhaps this will end up benefiting his singles you know i'd love to see them in i reckon maybe if 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 kokonakis says injury free can get his ranking up who's to say we we might not we might see them in in labor cup as well i think i think that would be a quite a decent doubles pairing in for you know for the team world who've been you know struggling for for so long um yeah it could come in quite handy well team world couldn't do any worse than they did last year could they and <laughs> hey labor cups in london this year so maybe we'll see them there oh, it's really nice for kokonakis though obviously he won his first singles title in adelaide um you know before this event and he just said he was like really happy that that happened because he never thought he'd really get to that point after all of his injury troubles so the fact that he's now won a doubles grand slam you know for him, I think he just said, like, if, if he never wins anything ever again, like, then I'm just going to enjoy this moment and this title because after what he's been through, like, this is just bliss, isn't it? So um, I am really happy um, for him, especially. Um, and obviously doing it in front of the home fans, you know, must have been fantastic. Must have been wild. Um, I mean, on the ladies doubles, we had Bubba Krachikova and Katerina Sinyakova winning uh, in three sets against... Danilina and Haddad Meyer. So they came back from a set down uh, to win in three, six, seven, six, four, six, four. It's their first Australian Open title and their fourth slam overall. Um, so, yeah, world number ones, top seeds, doing what they do best. Um, and I didn't watch this match, I'm not going to lie. It was obviously, I think, on before the, the men's final today. Uh, so I was getting much needed sleep uh beforehand <laughs> kim all you need to watch is the match point and and listeners as well because it was just moon ball after moon ball after moon ball i don't know if everyone was like really tight on the court and they were just going for the percentage tennis but it was just it was just really bizarre i think to just see it just sort of play out um on championship point at the australian open um but yeah krachikova and sinyakova Again, a, a little less surprising than I think the, the men's doubles champions, but yeah, definitely worthy winners. I think also they had lost, they had got to the final last year and had lost. So I think it was particularly pleasing for them, given that they were able to get to the final this time and win. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think they are now one slam away from completing the career slam. Uh, the US Open is... Uh, probably in their sights this season to complete that set so um big motivation there but yeah decent decent results from a very 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 good very very experienced doubles pairing in Krachikova and Sinyakova yeah and Krachikova having a, a decent tournament getting to the quarterfinals as well in the singles um but it does bring us on to our last result Joel which is collector set and uh, the winner is is decided after today's shenanigans. So um, it was so close to being a full house with six correct guesses right. But because Rafa came back and won, Kona Minnick, who is our winner, uh, with five correct guesses. Yeah, he missed out on six, but he got five, which is the best anyone has ever done. So, Conan, well done. You are our champion and we will be in contact with you with regards to your prize. Um, fantastic predicting. Um, very, very, very well done. I think, generally speaking, a lot more people did a lot better this mm. this edition. Um, we both got four. What is going normal. on there, Kim? What yeah, is going I mean, on there? I usually get like one. So to get four, I got all my, all the women right. Um, you got Rafa right. You, you were only one of three people to get Rafa right. Yeah, um, no one had the faith in Rafa winning. And my I mum was... did. My mum was one of the other people. And then my friend who actually doesn't really follow tennis uh, said he would win as well. So um, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, well done, Conan. Uh, congratulations for being the last, uh, well, the latest winner of Collector Set, and we will be in contact. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this finals catch up with the passing shot. Just generally, uh, we have really enjoyed over the last fortnight putting our round by round podcast together. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to our coverage over the last couple of weeks. As always, uh, passing shot tradition, we're going to go from our round by round format back into tour mode. We've got tennis, got tennis to come. I think there's tennis in Pune next week, uh, Montpellier. 
and uh, Cordoba as well, Kim. The golden swing, the golden swing is back. Cordoba open. Uh, yes, there's lots of tennis to come. So, uh, yeah, we'll be going back into our weekly tour mode. So I hope you can join us uh, for our going back into to tour mode where we're not going to be as frequent. we go back back into once a week so i hope you can join us for that but uh yeah remember to subscribe to the passing shot to make sure you stay up to date on all the action in tennis across the atp and wta tours this season uh you can sc- subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on we are on apple Podcasts, spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. Um, we are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at Passing Shot Pod. So if you don't already, you can like and follow us on social media. Tell all your friends about us. Maybe they saw the final today and have just got it getting into tennis and they want to follow what's going on on the tour. Um, so do share our handles um, if you can. And you can contact us uh, via Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as well as email PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website if you have time, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next time at Passing Shot HQ to get back to discussing the latest on the ATP and WTA tours. So I hope you can join us for that. But for our round by round coverage, it's our final goodbye from Kim. Adios. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.